From Upstate Medical University in Syracuse, New York, I'm Amber Smith. This is HealthLink on Air. What happens when a daughter wants to keep her father alive so he can sign over his house to her? In this segment, I'll ask a pair of ethics experts from Upstate. Here in the studio with me are two professors of bioethics and humanities who are part of the team at Upstate that provides ethics consults in a variety of patient situations. Dr. Thomas Curran, who has a background in neonatology and pediatrics, and Dr. Robert Ulick, who specializes in law, end-of-life issues, and physician-patient relationships. Thank you both for being here. I appreciate it. Thank you. So, Dr. Curran, um, can you give sort of background situation on this? Sure. And I I always mention at the outset that these uh, cases have been de-identified to protect the patient confidentiality, so uh, the, the story is... Uh, fairly host very closely to a consult that we did, but the, uh, it is de-identified. So in this case, Mr. W was a 75-year-old male who had dementia and metastatic stage four lung cancer, and he had been admitted to the hospital with respiratory distress that was thought to be second secondary to either evolving lung cancer, which would obviously be terrible, or potentially an infection like a pneumonia. Uh, he did not have decisional capacity, but he did have a healthcare proxy who was his daughter uh, Tina. And despite his grim prognosis, uh, Tina was unwilling to change uh, his code status to do not resuscitate. Uh, She was put the brakes on. And she was hopeful that he would recover enough to be able to drop a will and sign over his house to her. Uh, This caught the attention of the healthcare team, as you may imagine, and they consulted us to explore what was motivating the healthcare proxy's decision making. So without this DNR, or do not resuscitate order, the medical team is obligated to... If your heart stops, you're obligated to provide chest compressions and and cardiovascular medications and all those sorts of things. So the medical team was in agreement, though, that this patient, that that wouldn't bring them back. They weren't coming back from stage four lung cancer. Medical care, the medical team's opinion was that he was, he was irreversibly sick and was not going to recover. He was going to die. No matter what anyone said about anything, that was their opinion. Okay. Uh, Can a person who has all of their faculties complete the paperwork for a DNR? Is it part of an advanced directive, Dr. Um, Sure. If you have all of your faculties, as you say, or to use the... um, the term that's used around the hospital and in some of the law, if the patient has decisional capacity, then they can make any and all healthcare decisions for themselves, including uh, requesting and uh, ordering a, or should say requesting a DNR order, which would then be ordered by the doctor uh, at the direction of the patient. Um, and in this case, though the patient had lost decisional capacity, the healthcare proxy can make that decision as well um, based upon first and foremost, the patient's own wishes. So we should first say in this case that um, Proxy was laboring under a misperception that the patient could uh, write a will to um, leave the house to her. Um, Under law, the person who writes a testamentary will to dispose of their property also has to have capacity, or to use the legal term competence, to do so. And in this case, there was no question that that opportunity had been lost um, for that to happen. But the fact that the proxy had some reason to refuse a DNR order that was not directly related to the patient's own wishes and best interests in the judgment of the healthcare team raised red flags for them, and that triggered the ethics consult. So what do you do in that situation? 
Well, as we do in many cases, we arranged for a sit-down meeting between the healthcare proxy and the members of the healthcare team so that we could, one, uh, discuss, had it, uh, we always start off with having the medical team say, where, what is the current medical situation? What is the most likely outcome? So that there's clear information. Healthcare proxy, in order to make an informed decision, needs to know all the medical facts. Okay, and so sure. that's the role of the, of the uh, medical team. And then typically we'll step in and talk about what did um, Mr. W and you talk about with regards to his wishes. When you're, you are charged with representing his wishes, what, what, do you, what can you tell us about that? And, and it's interesting to, to me how frequently that will change the subject of what the healthcare proxy has been talking about because they put that hat on of I'm representing this person, not what I would do, and it, it facilitates um, whatever information that they may have uh, talked about uh, prior to losing capacity. And in this case, that's, that's what we did. So the proxy has to, uh, I, I imagine it'd be easy to slip into the role of what the proxy wants. You're talking about someone that you loved, and you know, but really their role is to represent what that person wanted, not what they want, but what that person wanted, right? Right, absolutely. And uh, healthcare proxies who are typically family members um, will struggle with this. They'll have a difficult time in some cases letting go. They'll have a difficult time balancing what the patient wants with what the best interests of the patient may be, what the doctor's recommendation about the patient's best interest may be. Uh, and it, it can also be the case that uh, patients may have left um, inconsistent mm -hmm. indications of what their wishes sure. might be under circumstances. Um, to sort of hypothesize on this example, it clearly could have been the case that the patient had had a conversation with his daughter. I want to leave you the house. Don't let me die before I leave you the house. I want to have a will. But the opportunity has now been lost. And so to the extent um, the daughter might be trying to act on that, um, that goal can no longer be achieved because the patient has clearly lost the ability to do that. And so now is the time to move off of that goal uh, and look at the patient's medical condition uh, more exclusively in terms of what he would want. Do you sometimes, uh, and this is kind of stepping away from this case, but you, you made me think of when you talk about a proxy, is it sometimes wise to choose someone who's not a family member? And do you see that where people choose someone who's a little less passionate maybe? or, I mean, you could have a physician be your proxy, right? Um, maybe. Maybe. <laughs> okay. So um, the, the fundamental concept is you want to pick someone you trust. Okay. to faithfully implement your wishes. Um, under the law and under common practice, that can be most anybody you choose who's over 18 and capable of handling that responsibility. Um, but it does happen in families that maybe one member of the family, perhaps the spouse or a child, um, really isn't the person you want to choose because you don't think they can handle the emotional, social, psychological burdens of making that decision to say when enough is enough when the time comes. So you might choose someone else who you think is better positioned, better equipped uh, to make that sort of decision. Now, you may not want to choose your doctor because of the potential conflict of interest. So the law will typically say if you want to choose your doctor, who for some people would be a good choice, they may have known their doctor for a long period of time, 
the doctor needs to choose which role they're going to have. Mm. Either, Either proxy he or, or she doctor. is your doctor or your proxy, but not both at the same time. That's why okay. I say maybe. Okay. Well, that yeah. makes sense. But certainly the, the lion's share of proxies are family Our members. Our family members. Yeah. I, in my, I know in my own parents' case, they've named my sister and I as their proxies. I have three other siblings. Uh, my sister and I are medical, and my parents trust us to be able to balance what they think is important and the medical information. And so that, that's how they selected us versus the other three, uh, who, they feel, who they love deeply, of course, but are not medical, and they don't think that they have the skill set or the maximal sure. skill set to, to wade through those sorts of complicated issues. So. So, so Tom's example raises another practical point, which is that it's often recommended that you choose one person not two. Not two. You can choose. You should choose it an alternate in case your first choice is unable to um, serve in that capacity, and you can direct your proxy to uh, consult with other members of the family. But if you choose two proxies with joint and co-equal authority, it means one can veto the other, uh, and you can have a, a deadlock and an inability to make a decision. A fair point. Yes. Yeah. I think it'll work out. <laughs> I'm sure it won't happen in Tom's family, though. Now, in this case that we're discussing, um, when you come in as an ethics consultant, um, do you look at the proxy's motivation for what they're wanting? Is that part of it? Absolutely. And, 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 yes. And I, I will, I've, I've done a case where the healthcare proxy was actually signing the patient's um, pension checks over to herself while the patient was in the hospital and she would not make the patient, she wouldn't, it was her father, wouldn't make him DNR, and it came to light that she was basically committing a crime, mm -hmm. the bar to remove a healthcare proxy is high, but that you've, you've made it over the bar when you're you, committing a crime. Okay. Uh, and so, so those are, they're, they're, it's, but it's unusual for healthcare proxies to have nefarious motivations. It, most frequently, at least in my experience, when the healthcare team is concerned about the healthcare proxy's motivation, it's usually due to inadequate communication where the healthcare proxy doesn't actually understand exactly what's going on. Okay. Well, we've read about cases um, in the news where people have been kept alive on machines for long periods of time, um, sort of against medical recommendation. Is there a way for patients to make sure their proxy doesn't do that if they don't want that? Well, as, as Tom was saying, it, it's a rare case, but it does happen that we have the term of art being a turncoat proxy who uh, <laughs> rebels against uh, implementing the patient's wishes. Uh, it is sometimes believed that whatever the proxy says goes, that there is an absolute duty to honor the proxy's decisions, uh, but that's not necessarily the case. Uh, so healthcare professionals do have an obligation to um, ensure and examine whether the proxy is uh, following their primary fiduciary duty, which again is to uh, follow the patient's wishes uh, and secondarily to act in the patient's best interest. So we do see cases where the proxy seems to be not following the patient's wishes and that, that can be uh, possibly rather clear especially if there's some ill motive with, with a turncoat proxy, but, but in other cases as well. And that's another occasion for an ethics consult, a family meeting, a discussion, and um, informing um, in a clear way the healthcare proxy that it is their responsibility that they've been tasked with by their loved one to implement um, their loved one's wishes, the patient's wishes. 
If the patient puts in writing what their wishes are, does the proxy have to follow it because it's written, or does the proxy get to kind of say what they want? Uh, putting it in writing um, gives greater assurance that your wishes will be followed, uh, but it is possible that uh, other surrounding circumstances um, will cast some doubt on whether the written document um, tells us everything we need to know. Um, that happens especially in cases where that document may have been written many years ago uh, and um, not in contemplation of the patient's current circumstances. Sure. Um, statements of the patient's wishes that are more contemporaneous, closer in time to the patient's current circumstances, contemplating those circumstances more clearly, giving a better fit, um, uh, are more reliable and, and um, easier to, to follow. I think Rob would agree that what it highlights is the importance of picking your proxy well, because this is a situation you don't want to be in. You want to, be, want to have a document that says, I don't, you know, I don't want to live on a ventilator for the rest of my life, and your healthcare proxy saying, no, they would. I mean, you want to have your healthcare right. proxy say, this is what he wrote, this is what they told me, this is what we're going to do. That's critical. Right. Well, tell us how this resolved. Did she end up getting the house? This was, this, this was, one of, I was such a great consult. So we had, I went to the, to the meeting with the healthcare team, and, I, and like I said, the healthcare team gave the prognosis that there's no reasonable hope for recovery, and and that this was not going to get better. And it, it was literally a five-minute meeting. The healthcare proxy, Tina, said, well, Dad would never want... He told me he didn't, wouldn't want to live that way. He, he, you know, he, he's, he's not going to wake up. He's not going to get better. He's not going to be able to get his legal affairs in order. Well, I'm sorry that that's the case. Of course, we'll make... You know, let's go to comfort care. Mm -hmm. And the healthcare team looked shocked because they thought that this person had some sort of nefarious motivation, and it couldn't have been further from the truth... She loved her father deeply, and she wanted to do what he re requested, and mm -hmm. and that and he was he was put on comfort care, and and I I think in this situation, as I said before, we helped the proxy get the information needed to make an informed decision from the healthcare team. And it seems like it comes down to communication, like you said, almost a lot of times. all the time. It's amazing. Wow. Yes. Wow. Okay. Well, thank you so much uh, for sharing this case with us. Appreciate it. My guests have been Drs. Thomas Curran and Robert Olick, both professors from Bioethics and Humanities at Upstate. I'm Amber Smith for Upstate's podcast and talk show, HealthLink on Air.